Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. That was the greatest night in the history of television. Welcome to the Banter Booth, everybody. I don't know if you saw last night's Oscars, but it was a night where the hands did a lot of talking with Coda winning and, of course, the big Will Smith and Chris Rock moment. And here with me to break down and give you the Oscar recap, Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio's Jay Khan. What's up, buddy? Good to be with you again, Zach, for the recap. It was just a couple of days ago where we were sort of previewing this whole thing, and now we're looking back on it. Pretty drama-free Oscars, right? Nothing nothing much to talk about. Yeah, pretty, pretty boring night, right? Nothing happened, especially not between yeah. Will Smith and Chris Rock. I don't think there was anything big that happened between the two of them that stole the night away from all the, all the big wins. <laughs> what, oh, man. What a mess. Just, let's just go right into the moment of the night. Let's not beat around the bush yeah. here. It was that's going to go down as one of the most memorable things to have ever happened at at the Oscars. I'm not going to be one of those people that says it was one of the ugliest moments because the Oscars have gone down, gone on for 94 years. There's no way that's the ugliest moment by a fucking mile. <laughs> those people that say that are completely wrong. But I, I got to get your opinions on it. What was your initial reaction watching that live? So watching it live was something like I'm, I know a lot of people probably were seeing it, not wa- not watching it live and seeing it through social media and clips afterwards. But you and I watching the show live uh, for sure in our separate locations. And at first it took it took me a while to sort of click in that it it was real. Like I I first thought when Will Smith walks up on stage and he delivers the slap, which was very dramatic, like almost like a wrestling type slap. And I thought, okay, this is clearly like some sort of playing gig and Chris rocks laughing through the whole thing. So, or he's laughing all the way up until Will Smith walks up there. It wasn't until Will Smith sits back down and they cut his audio and you can see him mouthing what he's mouthing. I don't need to, to repeat what he said, <laughs> but it's all over the internet right now. It wasn't until that moment where I realized like, Oh, this isn't supposed to be happening like this. Like they're clearly panicking in the truck right now, cutting the audio and probably trying to figure out what to do. Like, do we go to commercial break? What does Chris Rock do from here? And then you could just hear it in Chris Rock's voice that he was so rattled afterwards. And that's to me when it set in like, okay, this is not stage. And he's actually really upset about something that he said, because I wasn't fully paying attention to the joke. So I didn't even catch the joke at first. It wasn't until afterwards when I heard the joke that clearly, you know, crossed the line, hit a sensitive chord uh, with Jada and with Will Smith. And I think when we, when you look at it, Zach, like, there's going to be a lot of people that are breaking this down that are overthinking it a little bit, but it's like both guys can be in the wrong here. I think, I think Mm -hmm. Chris rock maybe crossed the line, obviously hit that sensitive cord that I mentioned went somewhere that he probably shouldn't have gone. And if you're Will Smith, I think you could have handled the situation better. I don't think he, I don't think he needed to go right for the slap or the punch uh, or resort to violence right away. I think he could have stood up and said, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm not cool with that. Like, even if he wants to curse at him or something like I think that probably would have been the way to handle it. And I feel like even Will Smith now is probably looking back at it and saying, okay, maybe I shouldn't have gone up there and, and actually hit him. Maybe I should have just said something, made my presence felt that way. And he's since come out and issued an apology to everybody and and Chris Rock. So clearly he regrets what he did on on Sunday night, but 
man, it's, it, it's creating a lot of content for the, for the people out there. So if you're, if you're one of those internet content people, you're absolutely loving what happened. What would what, you think about it all though, Zach? What, what's oh, your take? I will get to my thoughts in just a second, but I have to applaud the content creators that it felt like they were on oh, fire last night. Like ready by, to go. by 2 AM, I had seen somebody had come out with this, this comedian, Ryan Long had come up with this skit with four of his friends. And it was about Will Smith and the Chris Rock drama. And it was just the, just the fact that it was so fast. They were able to produce this and make it. And it was, it was all ready to go. It was unbelievable. It was all edited. Uh, I mean, the color correction was a little garbage in the video, but that's probably just because they were just like, let's just get this out. Let's get the views. Let's get the clicks. The money was all that mattered, really. So it was just amazing seeing all these people there. People were fast with the jokes when this happened. It was nuts. But uh, I-, I could not believe when it initially happened. I was I had to work last night, so I was watching the Oscars, and then I had to go up here for ice cap for an hour. So. Okay, I'll record that hour. I'm not going to miss anything big. I just probably missed like a few of the awards, like documentary and stuff. And I was like, okay, not a big deal. I'll have it recorded. I can watch it later. And of course, I, of course, the Chris Rock and Will Smith thing happened. I'm in the middle of the show here. My mom says to me, oh, something happened between Chris Rock and Will Smith. I, I don't, they cut all the audio out. I have no idea what happened. And I was, I was like, what, what are you talking about? So I went to my phone. Started looking at it. All these comments are there. Bruh, what just happened? Is this real? Am I having a fever dream? Then I found the video and then I I echoed all the same thoughts. I couldn't believe it. Rewatching it over and over again. Could not believe that that's what happened. And I was stunned. And I I texted you immediately afterwards because that's how just insane it was. It, it was like, it was something I'm never going to Oscars. It's actually funny because, um, you know, my girlfriend and I have been uh, dealing with COVID-19 for the last couple of weeks. And we usually have an Oscar party with a few of our really good friends. And weren't able to have that this year because we're still recovering, both both feeling great now and, and sort of on the road to recovery. But we were, we were in a like a live chat with a couple of our friends, the friends that we usually have over. And we had a video feed going and we were all kind of saying like, this night's been kind of slow. Like there hasn't been that like viral moment yet. And like, you know, who, what's it going to be? Is it going to be somebody gets the major upset? Like we saw last year with Chadwick uh, Bozeman getting upset and Anthony Hopkins winning. Mm. Um, are we going to see something like that? Like we're all kind of de- debating and waiting for something crazy to happen. Never thought in a million years it would be that and that it would be Will oh, Smith no. walking up and, and slapping Chris Rock. So unfortunately you kind of alluded to it off the top of the show. Like it does take away from some of the other things that happened and, you know, Coda winning best picture. And, and we'll get into that and, and everything else that happened. And obviously who, who won the, like, I, I was too shook on the next award. I'm like, I'm like rattled. It was a, a wild moment and something I, I think we'll kind of remember forever now. For sure. That's going to, well, Oscar infamy for, for, for certain. Uh, I, uh, some of my final thoughts on that is just, Ah, I, I took notes just so I could remember everything I wanted to say about that because it was unbelievable. I saw even afterwards during the commercial break um, that behind the scenes video that someone up in the top rows had taken talking about how uh, Will's publicist, Denzel Washington, Tyler Perry, and Bradley Cooper all went yeah. over to him just to comfort him. And it was nuts. And yes, takes away from some of the big, like huge historic things that happened that night, obviously with Coda becoming one of the first, one of the biggest things for the deaf community with winning best picture, uh, Ariana DeBose winning for the LGBTQ and Latino community. Yeah. And um, a, a lot of different, a lot of different things that sort of the, that moment's going to overshadow now in that, in that show, kind of like how the La La Land and Moonlight uh, situation sort of overshadows Moonlight's big historic win itself. That happened back in 2017. 
And it's a shame that this stuff happens. But like you said, Will Smith did issue an apology. He said he's a work in progress and he's uh, he doesn't condone his actions. Seems like in his in this apology this time, not the one that he gave during his speech uh, at the show live was actually condemning what he had done. And speaking of his speech, both of us made comments during our uh, during the uh, nomination podcast saying, oh, we're, we're excited for this speech. He's probably gonna have the yeah. best speech of the night. And to be honest, after that incident happened, that speech was no longer the best speech of the night because the because Chris Rock loomed over that very largely. And it it took away a lot of the emotional heft that it had. But the Denzel Washington bit was still pretty awesome. Um, that quote that he gave him just about when you're at your peak, that's when the devil's going to come for you. And I, I thought that was a very that was a very nice little thing that Denzel said to Will Smith and Will Smith included in his in his um, speech. I just, I just think Smith is definitely thinking right now. He really wished he had a, a neuralizer to make everyone forget what happened. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking too, that like probably such an emotional night for him, like trying to put yourself in the shoes of Will Smith is pretty difficult. Like it's hard for oh, yeah. people like us to imagine themselves as a you know movie star, music star, the way that Will Smith is. But like he was about 20, 30 minutes away from delivering the speech that he, he knew he was going to win best mm-hmm. actor. I mean, everybody knew he was going to win that he's got a speech prepared. He's probably got a lot, a lot of emotions going through him. I don't know what's going on between him and Jada and what their relationships like, obviously that's personal, that's private, but it does seem a little bit unique what's going on there. So I think there was a lot of emotions swirling that night with Will Smith. And, and I, I don't think that he acted correctly, but the way, you know, I, I I'm, I'm okay with him standing up for Jada in that situation. Mm-hmm. I just think he probably could have done it in a better way and, and not gone to violence right away. But Again, not the end of the world. Nobody was seriously hurt. It's going to end up being sort of a, a funny video clip and internet meme for years and years to come. So I don't think it's anything to lose sleep over. I, I was just really surprised by the amount of people uh, online that were saying that this was like some staged act to get more ratings for the Oscars. I was like, there is no way that Will Smith or Chris Rock care about the Oscars ratings or are taking money from the Academy to like hype up ratings. Like that is just such a weird take to me. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I understand Oscar ratings are down and that's been well-documented over the past few years, but this is not going to, to, to create more Oscars ratings. Like no one's tuning into the show next year because of this now. So I just wanted to kind of make a comment on that because there was too much of that, that take out there. Like it clearly wasn't staged. Will Smith has come out since apologized, clearly really regretful of what he did uh, on Sunday night. So I, I didn't really quite understand that take that it was staged for extra views for the Oscars. I, I, I don't think that that's right. Mm-hmm. There's no way that would ever make sense because that's there's there's tr- you're trying to put something together to get more viewers, but the amount of viewers you're going to get is the amount of viewers you're going to get. If this, yeah. this, uh, this stunt wouldn't get you more viewers that night, it might get you more next year, but I doubt it. This was the second lowest watched Oscars of all time, just behind last year's. Uh, last year's though made sense why it was so low because of COVID and people having not being able to go out to see a lot of the films that were released in, in that year. This year, you know, 15 million people tuning in to watch it. It's a far cry from the days when the awards were pulling in 40 million, 45 million people yeah. to watch it. Those days are gone because they make it so fucking hard for people to find streams to watch. Like in Canada, yeah. we're both in Canada. You can't go on the Oscars website and just watch it because if you're not in the States, they don't let you to, they don't let you watch it. So you have to have cable at home in Canada to be able to watch it. If you're in the States, maybe you're lucky enough to um, find uh, get a link off the Oscars website, but they don't let you if you're in other territories, which, I think affects viewership because all they care about is those ad numbers anyways. So fuck that take. Well, and I think too, you make a lot of good points there. And I, you know, just in terms of like the whole ratings debate and where it's going, like, I don't think it's ever going to go back 
to what it was before. And I think it's directly tied into streaming services. Obviously, COVID-19 has played a role over the past couple of years as well. And like people just not going to the movie theaters as much. Like attendance in movie theaters was down even before COVID-19. And then obviously with, with COVID, like it just totally wiped it out and, and people weren't even able to go at all. So if you go back and look at Best Picture nominees from 15, 20 years ago, it's all it's the top five, six movies of the year that everybody went to the theaters and saw. So people can kind of gravitate towards that and actually mm -hmm. tune into the awards. Now you get 10 movies and seven of them people have never heard of and don't even know where to watch them. So I think you make a really good point there. If they ever are interested in getting some ratings back, then that's where they're going to have to go. They're going to have to pick the popular movies to get nominated for Best Picture. So I think they're in a tricky spot where it's like, do we really want to nominate these popular movies that aren't necessarily the best movies, or do we want to give love to the movies that are actually the most well-made movies and sort of play to our, our core group, like the, the film, the real film fans that are going to watch no matter what. Mm -hmm. See, okay. I'm glad you brought this up because this is a perfect way to go into our next thing and leave the Smith and rock slap behind us, which is trying to make the Oscars more populist is what's ruining the Oscars. And is actually what I am certain that is what's making people tune out of it. This should be a show about the love of movies. Their tagline for last night's show was movie lovers unite. And yet the majority of the show, well, not the majority, because there was a lot of good jokes, but for some reason, there was a lot of jokes punching down at movies and the hard work that a lot of movies get put into. Even Amy Schumer referencing how animated movies are just for kids and adults have to endure them. Completely disregarding an entire medium of, of, of hard work. People in Hollywood just abuse what animators go through, you know, make them work those, ex those long hours, grueling to get things done. And yet, what, what happened during the pandemic? What happened when everything closed down? All those actors were trying to do animated work. So shut the hell up saying that that's not a real that's that's just something adults have to endure and it's just for kids it's not a real thing we should uh we should be congratulating because that's utter bullshit and there was too many moments like that last night where that was also something that took away from the utter enjoyment of the show it should be more about what kevin costner said when he was bringing out the best director oscar when he just like for me have kevin have kevin costner host it next year and have him yeah. tell a bunch I of stories no. yeah because he Perfectly talking about when he was seven years old, saw his first like Western four hours long, had an intermission halfway through, and he sat in his seat patiently waiting for what came next and how he fell in love and knew he wanted to become a director just watching that movie. That's what the Oscars are about. It's about people that love movies and want to honor those movies, celebrate those movies, celebrate all the different voices in movies, not all this punching down bullshit and all this shitty influencer stuff. And, and like you said, with the popular stuff, no. Some, most of the popular movies aren't that well made. Like if Spider-Man had been nominated for Best Picture, there ain't no way it belonged in the top 10. It's only there because they wanted ratings. But uh, even their own ideas with those Twitter awards, or not awards, but those, those Twitter Oscar cheer moment and Oscar fan favorite of the year, those backfired on them because how on earth was uh, the Flash scene better than the Spider-Man's teaming up? Or how is Army of the Dead, Cinderella, one of the worst movies of the year, and a movie I'm almost certain no one saw with Johnny Depp called Minamata or whatever, better than Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, utter bullshit. Bunch of Twitter trolls came out and were voting for that movie, even though they weren't even going to fucking watch the show. I, I, I um, yeah, no, and, and quickly, too, just on your 
like just talking about punching down and some of these jokes, like I could totally do without a lot of that banter, like Mm -hmm. the forced humor off the top. And obviously what got Chris rock in hot water with the joke that he made, like I can do without all that. There's only a few comedians that can really get away with it. And I know a lot of people reference Ricky Gervais. And when he did it, like he's one of the few that can actually do it and can do it really well. So sure. If Ricky Gervais hosting, the whole thing's going to be a roast and it's going to be funny, but just because he can do it, just because a couple of other people can do it, doesn't mean that everyone has to go about it like that, has to go about hosting it like that, like show a little bit of emotion. It doesn't always have to be a roast. And I, I, I can kind of do without some of those jokes. And they're also trying to like cut down the Oscars, cut down the time. And they had eight awards that they awarded between seven and eight Eastern and they cut them up and they still found time for them in the broadcast. But it's like, if you're trying to save all this time, like there's so many things that you could have cut out. They didn't give out an award until like 20 minutes into the, the live broadcast. It was like 820 Eastern time. They still hadn't given out an award. And I thought, well, you still have to give out 20 plus awards here. And I think it was like halfway through the show, they were only at six awards in terms of mm-hmm. like their actual time block. So I I don't understand sometimes what they're trying to do, who they're trying to pander to. And I'm I'm totally with you. Like, just, just do it for film lovers, the people that actually are going to, to watch it. And you're going to get some people that come back just because, um, you know, and again, it's going to come down to everybody actually seeing these movies and going out and and seeing them and having something to root for and some sort of an attachment to them. And I think that's a, that's a challenge, not necessarily for the Oscars, but just movie watching in general and where we're going uh, with streaming services and and things being chopped up so much, but a lot of hoops, a lot of issues, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I, I think too, when we're looking at at the time of the broadcast, like they're they're so obsessed with trying to jam it into three hours and they always go over, like it's, they blew over it this time. They were like Mm -hmm. 40 minutes over, just make the block four hours, start it at like seven 30 Eastern, make it go to 1130. Like you'll always get it on in time. So I don't like the fact that everything seems rushed and they come out of commercial break and they're just trying to jam an award in and, and really hurry everything. So I, I think they should let it breathe a little bit more. Give, uh, give everybody their, their due. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do. I did like the the addition. The well, the more like just bringing back the hosts. I did think that Schumer, uh, especially Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes, I, I did think that their addition was welcome because it's been so long since we saw an Oscar with with the hosts. It's just a lot of their bits. You can just get rid of them. You don't need to have constant bits. Yes, have the hosts come back out, introduce people. Like you don't see Ricky Gervais yeah. when he does the Golden Globes come out and do bits all the time. He does the monologue at the beginning and then comes out throughout the show for like a quick 31 minute set. You know, get people like, hey, I'm drunk. Let's enjoy the night. Let's keep it fun and introduce the next person. Like, or he'll take the shit out of Mel Gibson. And okay, Ricky Gervais, the, the amount of jokes that man come out with and nobody's ever had, no one's ever had the gall to come up to him and slap him in the face. Like, that's insane. We need Ricky Gervais there next year and we need him to make a Jada Pinkett Smith joke just to see what happens. I, would, <laughs> I think, I think too, they just don't know what they want to be. Like, it's like they're caught in this yeah. middle ground between like, okay, we want to show the awards. We want to honor the people that made these movies, the actors in these movies, but we also kind of want to be funny and edgy and have some things that light up social media and mm-hmm. uh, appease the TikTok generation and things like that. Like they're kind of caught in the middle uh, here. I'd obviously rather them go more towards like the film lovers and just like strictly shining a light on these movies like showing all the best picture clips like th- that kind of stuff i'm cool with like i threw out the, the show when they showed the the 10 clips for the 10 best picture nominees or however many nominees there are in that particular year that's the kind of stuff i like because you're really shining a light on the best movies of the year mm-hmm. and tying the whole show together so there's things that i i enjoyed there's a lot of things that i i could do without uh but at the end of the day it should just be about the the movies and, and the people in them the most 
Yeah, exactly. And, and so just to just to keep that going, what a what a historic night and just to actually start focusing on the positive stuff. But a historic night for Coda becoming the first oh. movie since the 1930s to have the least amount of nominations and yet walk away with the best picture award and a, and a clean sweep at that cleaning house. All three nominations, all three wins. You're getting best adapted screenplay, best supporting actor in Troy Coetzer. And of course, best picture, well deserved in my mind. Coda was a good film, made me feel good. I mean, it's not. I know it's not the most technically well made movie. If, if the technically, if the most technically well made movie was going to win, it would have been Dune because it yeah. was so weeping all the technical awards. Oh. So clearly, that if people want to make the argument that it should be the most technically well made movie, then it's Dune. <laughs> yes, and I'm gl- I'm glad Coda won. I was really happy to see it. It was that feel good movie of the year, and. As soon as it won screenplay, I, I knew it was winning Best Picture because that was going to be the stepping stone for it. So mm-hmm. as soon as I saw it get that award, I thought, OK, this is going to be Coda's night. And they really needed that one uh, to make sure that they were going to lock it up. Uh, Troy uh, Coetzer's speech and everything, that was great. And oh. I was really excited to see that. I was really happy to see kind of a journeyman actor get rewarded there when we see you know, a lot of the big names usually get rewarded. So that was really nice to see a uh, really cool moment. So yeah, Coda was uh, something that I was rooting for the whole time. And you can debate back and forth which which movie you thought was actually the best movie. But Mm -hmm. I think they did a pretty good job spreading things around. There wasn't too many surprises, though, in terms of the winners and losers. Like We didn't get that big shock upset that maybe we were expecting. I thought possibly in the best actress category, we could get something crazy happening. A lot of people thought it was going to go to Jessica Chastain, but there was other contenders there. And I felt like that was probably the award where we were maybe going to see an upset. And uh, they do end up going with Jessica Chastain, who's what well-deserved to win. And it mm-hmm. felt like it was, it was her time anyways, but not a lot of surprises in t- terms of uh, winners and losers. Out of all of our predictions, you know, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you take a guess first. Who, who, who would have both of us won? Do you think? And it was only by one point, by the way, separated I, by one point. I feel like you, I feel like you got it by one point. I, yeah. I, I went out on a limb on a couple on a couple of them. I actually won the pool that I did with uh, with everybody that I I watch with every year. So nice. I won that one. Lost to you. So we'll we'll uh, I, I'll I'll pay up. I'll pay up. Don't worry. We'll get the drinks. Nowhere to find me. I'm coming down at the end of April. I will see you there. We're gonna get drinks. We're gonna get everybody to get drinks. But uh, yeah. So the final score was 18 out of 23 for you and 19 out of 23 for me. So compared to last year, where I only got 50 percent of them correct. This was a big improvement for me. You pretty much stayed consistent, almost getting all of them correct. So you have great consistency. I had a good yeah. bounce back. This, this, this was your year. You said it from the beginning and you delivered on it. So I was I focused. That. I was, yeah. I was so ready to win. The, the only award that I thought, and I feel like you, you might agree here because we talked about this on the, on the previous show. The only award I thought that they missed the boat was production design. And I, I really thought that Nightmare mm-hmm. Alley should have won that. And it was the underdog. Dune was the favorite and became pretty clear early in the award show that Dune was going to win every technical award. Like once it won the first couple, I'm like, okay, I think this could be a pretty big night for Dune. Clearly they really like Dune and they like the technical aspects of it and, and for good reason. But I felt like if there was one, it was going to lose. It should have been production design. Like I never thought about the production design when I was watching Dune. That wasn't something that was a standout to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Nightmare Alley, I thought that was like the one major point to the movie that made it as enjoyable as possible was the production design so that was the only one where I had a bit of a bone to pick and I thought okay they I I think they messed that one up but other than that I I think the awards went to the right people and the right movies yeah well the only like there was only a few I think there was only two awards where both of us got it completely wrong and that was production design with Dune winning and both of us well you think in Nightmare Alley and me going with Macbeth 
and OG screenplay. Neither one of us said Belfast. I don't even, I think you might've brought up that you thought Belfast might take it in the show, but we both went, don't look up and uh, licorice pizza respectively. I see. And that's funny too. Cause we, we filmed that. We did that before. And then when I was going through some bets on the Sunday, I ended up betting on Belfast for that category. Cause I was looking at the odds and there was like plus money on Belfast. And I kind of thought, okay, like I, I feel like they're going to win this. So I ended up cashing on the, uh, on the Bel- Belfast for screenplay, which was, which was pretty nice, but that was a, that was a tough one to pick. There was like three or four contenders there where mm-hmm. it could have gone either way. That's yeah. That was, a, I had the same conversation with my mom. We, I, I got, we did picks together as well. I got her pick just before the show. And, uh, we, I was the only category where I said, it's kind of wide open here. You could really go anywhere. There's no, there's no real, in my mind, there was no real favorite in my, I don't, I didn't think I thought licorice pizza probably had the better chance just because it had won so many awards prior, but so many did. So did the other films had won awards. So it was tough to say, tough to say. And I only went with don't look up because of the WGA win. And I know that the yeah. writers, the writers guild are the same voters in this branch here at the Academy. So I just thought they would vote the same, which they did not. Maybe this was just their way of awarding Kenneth Branagh and avoiding controversy yeah. with um, with Licorice Pizza and Don't Look Up. So yeah, I think it was, it was a good way to get him on stage. And when it happened, I thought, it, okay, this makes a lot of sense to sort of spread things around a, a little bit. I hope for next year they don't do what they did this year in terms of awarding eight of them before the main broadcast mm-hmm. and then trying to clip it. And I just thought editing wise, it, it looked a little bit sloppy and they would come back from break and like instantly be into an award. And then they would go from the, uh, pr- the presenters of the award straight to the people already on stage. And it's like, what are you really cutting out? You're cutting out maybe 15, 20 seconds of them walking up. And I just think it's unnecessary. So I hope that's something that they don't continue to do moving forward. Yeah, like everybody deserves their moment to shine. And also, um, speaking of like when they did show some of them, when they showed the winner of best live action short, I think it was live action short. That was the one where Riz, uh, yeah, Riz Ahmed had won that one. Yeah. And they cut out the other guy's speech. There was two guys that won that, like it was him and his partner that won. And they cut they, they cut him yeah. out, only had Riz Ahmed talk and the acceptance speech was like, that's it. Uh, that's one way to save time. Completely cut out the one guy who probably had a bunch to say and only show Riz Ahmed, which was definitely deserving. He was deserving just because that amazing performance he had in Sound of Metal the year prior. So it's good to see him walk away with some gold this year. But it, it, and I agree with you. Ha- just show all 23. It's not a, like no one's going to complain. The people that are going to watch your show are, gonna, are the same people that, that like film and they're going to watch your show anyways. Don't try to pander to anybody and try to make it under three hours because you tried this year and you weren't even fucking close. I think that was the longest yeah. Oscars I've ever watched. Exactly. It was, it was like 23 minutes longer than last year's Oscars. And they tried to make all these changes. So I don't, I don't really understand what they're trying to do. And I think that they're pandering to the people that aren't even watching anyways. Like the people mm-hmm. that are complaining, saying that it's too long, that it, that it drags on. Like those are the people that are probably just kind of like on and off watching anyways. Yeah. So the people, people like you and me who, who like live for it every year, I want it as long as possible. Like we wait all year for this. We get excited, you know, months in advance. We're looking at the nominees. We're giving our picks and everything like that. Like I'm fine with it being four hours, four and a half hours. Like I, you know, I can go in a commercial break. I can grab a bite to eat. Like it's like, it's a whole event for me. It's a whole night. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it going long. Uh, I, I think they just have to commit to that at some point and say, Hey, like this is a four hour event. It's not a three hour event. It's four hours. Let's, you know, bl- let's, let's, let's block that time off and just, and just sort of roll with it. So that, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at there. I, I, I agree. And also it, um, one of the most historic things that happened last night was before the show happened. Cause I, if I'm not mistaken, that was when they awarded best score 
because yeah. something I did not realize because this is a huge injustice because they didn't even bring it up during the show either as to how historic it was. But Hans Zimmer won best score for Dune. That was his first time winning yeah. in 30 years and yeah. only the second Oscar he's ever gotten. That that man is how the fuck does he only have two Oscars to his name? Lion King and Dune. That's it. You're telling me those two are the most the most influential, the most iconic themes he's done. You even brought up Pirates of the Caribbean the last time we were talking. Yeah. The Wonder Woman theme is even more is even iconic. Like it's crazy to me that Hans Zimmer only has two best score Oscars when he is easily up there with John Williams when it comes to iconic composers of music for film. It's shocking because when I saw him nominated for this one, I just assumed like, okay, he's probably going for like his third or fourth win at this point. But then when you go and you look back, uh, and I actually did that uh, earlier today, kind of looking back at, at some of the other times that he was nominated and, and who he lost to. Uh, most recently, I believe he was nominated in 2017 for Dunkirk when he did the Dunkirk score and he ended up losing to The Shape of Water in, in that year. So um, I mean, he's been nominated a bunch, a bunch of times. I think he was nominated for Sherlock Holmes as well uh, in 2009. So there was a, you know, it usually is usual sp- uh, suspects when you're looking at the at the original scores and the sort of the previous winners. But a little surprising to me that he hasn't been recognized for an actual win in so long. And like you said, it was just kind of like he wasn't even there. They just sort of like did away with that one so quickly. And I thought, mm-hmm. man, that was like such a cool moment for such a, a legendary composer uh, like Hans Zimmer. So uh, maybe 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 they'll actually bring him out there for Dune Two when they make Dune Two and he does that score. I'm sure it's going to win. So hopefully he gets his moment then. <laughs> I, I hope. Hope it's a clean sweep every year that dune is not, like well that's of course as long as he keeps just hammering away iconic themes with each movie which i, I just expect dune 2 to have just as amazing of a score and musical landscape as the first one did so i i fully expect to see him back here in 2024 after that movie's released and i mean as long as the movie is good which i assume Denis villeneuve is going to reunite everyone they've already got joe walker coming back to edit it and he won his first oscar for this one after amazing achievements in Blade Runner editing, Arrival, uh, Sicario, and um, uh, there's a few other ones. I'm just blanking on them right now, but all other Denny Villeneuve movies, really. So frequent collaborator. I think he'll come for the come for a two again when Doom Part 2 is out. So as long as Denny can get all of them back together again, get the same production design people, they're going to be another technical sweep of the next one, if not actually getting the best picture at the next one. I, I think it has a possibility to sort of go on the same trajectory or a similar trajectory as the Lord of the Rings trilogy did when you look back at what happened and how that was nominated sort of in the early 2000s and the Fellowship of the Ring getting nominated a bunch ended up only really picking up mostly technical awards mm-hmm. in, in that year and then eventually culminating in the third movie basically sweeping the Oscars and winning everything it was nominated for the technical awards the director ended up winning the best picture that year as well. I could see Dune following that similar path. Like it's established itself now as a franchise, obviously very well technically done. So I assume it's going to win those awards again Mm -hmm. once it's up. And maybe we do see like a Timothy Chalamet nominated for a best actor for it. If he gets there um, or other actors that are, or actresses that are in the movie and then possibly winning that best picture. I would assume now with 10 nominees that it's going to get nominated no matter what Mm -hmm. back, uh, you know, referencing the Lord of the Rings there, that was when there was only five nominees. So it was a little bit more difficult to to sort of get in the mix, but I could see Dune following a very similar path to that and, and having an Oscars where it's just like Dune, 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 Dune the whole night. So you're, you're in the, I was, I was gonna, I was literally just about to ask, 
do you think by the time we get Dune 2 or God God willing, we get Dune 3 to end the trilogy, do you think that's we're just going to see a clean sweep first time since Lord of the Rings, Return of the King came in, nominated 12 times, winning all 12, one of the only films aside from like Ben-Hur, I think, to ever do that. Yeah, yeah Dune will be the next I, one. I, I, think, I think it has the chance to be. Like if anyone's going to do it, it's probably going to be Dune. I just think in this day and age, things are a little bit different. Like we're 20 years removed from that where – I don't know if they want to just re reward the same movie all night and that they want to maybe spread things around a little bit, give some love to other movies, give some love to other people like that award show. And I remember that one vividly. I was quite young still for the, the return of the King, but I was such a big Lord of the Rings fan that I was like engrossed in that award show. And I was personally loving it and I wanted them to win them all, but you want to give some recognition to other movies and other people. So I'm curious if that could happen in this day and age. But as we saw on Sunday night, like they weren't afraid to give Dune every technical award. It wasn't mm -hmm. like they're like, okay, let's mix it up. Let's throw Nightmare Alley, a production design, or let's throw Power of the Dog, a cinematography or something like that. Like they had opportunities to really spread it out and mix it up. And they clearly just said, hey, no, Dune was the best. Like it was the best technically done movie of the year. So I think it does plant a seed for a possible Oscar sweep in the future and, and something to watch out for. Yeah. What, what did you think of the fact that uh, Dune obviously walked away from the awards with the most wins with six Coda walking away with the second most with three and then Tammy Faye being the only other film to win multiple awards and yeah. only walking away with two. It's, and let's be honest, I don't know that many people that saw eyes of Tammy Faye, but still to walk that walked away with two, two more Oscars than nightmare alley did or tragedy of Macbeth or some of these other films that were, were crazy fucking good. So it's, it is kind of insane that those are the only movies it, it very much. They spread their wealth this year when giving out the awards. So it, it has been, a, it's been a long time since we've seen a, uh, seen a movie really dominate like that. Probably Lord of the Rings is the last time. And I feel like we are in a day and age now where it's all about spreading the wealth. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that though. And, and that, well, and there's so much more competition now too, right? Like we're starting to see international films get a lot more play, which is a great thing. And I'm, I'm very happy we saw Parasite win Best Picture. We've seen a lot more international films get recognition in directing categories, in the Best Picture category, in some of these top categories, you know, the actors, the actresses. So I think that that just creates more movies, more competition. And it's, it's very difficult for one movie to just have that dominant year. And I think what we saw this year with you know, Dune winning the most, obviously, for the technical awards and then everything else sort of being spread out, I think speaks to the fact that there wasn't necessarily that dominant, dominant presence this year, mm -hmm. like a Parasite or even a 1917 or, you know, some of those movies that we've seen in recent years where you're thinking like, oh, this, when you watch it, you think like this has a chance to really be big at the Oscars and win multiple awards. I never really felt that when I was watching the movies this year. I, I felt yeah. like all of these were good movies. They're all deserving to be in the conversation in there, but none, none of them really stood out above the rest where I thought, okay, this is dominant enough to, to do that. But I, I like that narrative. I like the narrative building up with Dune as the possibility that it could be that movie that, that has one of those dominant Oscars in the future. As long as uh, Denis Villeneuve gets that fucking best direct. I keep swearing a lot here, but I need Denny Villeneuve to get the recognition get he deserves to get that fucking best director nom, if not win. He's he was Jane Campion's only competition in my eyes, and that motherfucker wasn't yeah. even nominated, so it didn't even matter. So like, leading up to the nominations, I thought Denny was like a lock, and I thought it's 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 going to be between him and Campion. As soon as he wasn't nominated, I was like, well, Campion gets the award. She really has no competition. Maybe Spielberg, but I think the only thing. That's that stopped people from voting for Spielberg in that category is hasn't he won this 500 times? We can't give it to him again. <laughs> yeah, can't give it to him for a musical either. Right. So, again, I, I think that it could follow sort of that similar path 
to what happened with Peter Jackson and with Lord of the Rings, right? Because he was he was nominated for Fellowship of the Ring, didn't win that year. I think he actually lost to Ron Howard uh, for A Beautiful Mind, which is a great movie. And then he ends up winning it for uh, Return of the King and he sort of finally gets his recognition. So maybe we do see it follow that kind of similar path where it's like, okay, you've established yourself now you know, we'll give it to you sort of at the back end of the trilogy, even though it might not technically be the best movie, but we'll, we'll reward you for like a culmination of, of what you're going to do with all two or three of these movies. It's almost like, well, yeah, in, in that sort of, uh, in that sort of um, narrative or whatever, they're, you're, you're awarding them for that final film, even though in my mind, it's Fellowship is the best movie, then it's Two Towers, and then it's Return of the King. In my mind, Return of the King all three, by the way, I will give you, they're all nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 films. Yeah. It's just in my mind, Return of the King was my week was the weakest one in my mind compared to the two, even though it's still a nine out of 10 movie. So, but you're awarding him because that man filmed for like a year and a half straight. One of the most grueling productions built all these yeah. sets, did an amazing makeup and costume job with the orcs and, 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 and the elves and everybody across the board building this entire building middle earth, basically in New Zealand, building the Shire, which is now a place we can go visit down there in New Zealand. You're awarding best director for Peter Jackson there because he that that's that sort of accomplishment is fucking insane it's like when rich well I wouldn't I wouldn't compare the two but it's like when Richard Linklater took 12 years of his life to film boyhood you know to see this little boy yeah. grow up and they filmed one to two weeks every year giving him a different story and, and like even then like that's a huge directorial achievement to be able to do that and I don't even think Richard Linklater even won for that year but in my mind, that was the directorial achievement of that year back when Boyhood came out. And it's the same thing with Peter Jackson. That was an achievement unlike anything people had seen before at that time until and Hobbit it, came out. Yeah, and I think sometimes that was actually on Sunday night after the Oscars on one of the channels. And I was like, oh, boy. Uh, but the I think sometimes, too, like for something like that, it takes it takes seeing the whole trilogy. It takes seeing the whole series to really realize like how grand the scope is. Like we just got a taste of Dune. A lot of people getting that taste for the first time. Whereas maybe once they finish a second one and they finish a third one and they look back and you look back on the whole series, you think, wow, like that was just a masterpiece. Like so well done. I, I don't know where it's going to go. Maybe it goes the other direction. Maybe people don't even like the next one and it, it goes the, the other way. I, I struggle to think that that's going to be the case, but I feel like sometimes that's what it takes. And, and you referencing return of the King there. I agree. I, I don't think that was the best Lord of the Rings movie, even though it was the one that like swept the Oscars and won every award. But I think it was more so the culmination for the whole trilogy saying like, man, this was, this was something we haven't really seen done in film before. Like they, mm -hmm. they, you know, did this, they, they made all these sets and they did what they did. And then I, I think you could see maybe something similar with Dune in terms of like that recognition at the end of it saying, okay, this, this was quite something. This was uh, mm -hmm. an achievement in filmmaking. They don't tend to film movies like that anymore. They don't, they don't like a lot of studios are so afraid to make that sort of commitment of filming. back. Yeah. back. I, I remember when Dune, excuse me, Dune and Dune part two were supposed to film back to back, but then they were like, no, we should, we need to see how the first one's going to play before we give you a green light on the second one. So then those plans were scrapped very early on in the process. But uh, I, I think John wick th uh, four and five are even supposed to not to really compare the two, but they were sort of filmed back to back and then that got delayed, but that was obviously COVID different issue entirely, but it, it, it'd be interesting. What would have happened if Dune had filmed both those movies back to back? And I think the quality and I think I think actually there would have been a lot more consistency between the two of them because now when, when yeah. the second one goes into production, it's going to be three years from three, four years removed from when they initially even filmed it. So a lot of those people have changed. A lot of those people, uh, like they've grown up. Zendaya star has risen insanely since that time when they initially filmed it. So 
and it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy to see what go what what happens when that second one comes out because now that you've seen the first one you've seen the accolades it's gotten now you're trying to match that quality and now everyone's expecting that quality so you have to bring it well and i think too further to that point like you want to capitalize you want to strike while the iron's hot to use Mm -hmm. that expression like everyone's in on dune now we all went and saw the movie we thought man this is cool it's winning all these oscars it would be great if the second one was coming out like Christmas time next year. Like that, I think that would be perfect. Just the same way that they did Lord of the Rings and even the Harry Potter movies and things like that, where it was like, they came out every year. You knew every single winter you were getting one. It was like November, December, you knew you were going to get one. And I think that that's kind of important, especially this day and age where people's attention spans are, are so small. And I I'm guilty of that sometimes as well, where I don't know if the, if the Dune movie comes out three or four years down the road, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I kind of forgot about Dune and like, I'm kind of out of it now. Obviously I can go and rewatch the first one. I could easily get back into it, but I liked the fact. And I think that's what gave some of those other movies so much success in the past was that they're all in the hopper. They're all in the bank. We can just go bang, 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 one, two, three. And you get that sort of consistency every year. And it just mm-hmm. flows a little bit nicer than, you know, having to wait four or five years in between movies. Mm-hmm. And speaking of waiting a long time between movies when a sequel should have been released almost immediately, to, to, to use your expression and very popular, strike while the iron is hot, this December, we are going to get the first sequel, the first of four planned sequels of Avatar. Avatar yes. 2 is finally going to come out. We are Talk what, about waiting. Talk about taking your time with that one. Like, 13. holy. James Cameron doesn't miss, though. As we know, the man reinvented the Aliens franchise. Re, like made the best action movie sequel of all time with Terminator 2, created True Lies, Titanic, and then Avatar, two of the highest grossing movies of all time. It's clear to me that you can't count out James Cameron. So looking ahead to next year's Oscars, I think that there's a real possibility we're going to see James Cameron in that running for best director. Of course, hoping that everything works out um, with this movie because we've waited 14 years and they've they filmed two and three back to back and Disney didn't want to give them the green light on four and five until until they saw that two and three were going to be just as successful as the first one initially was. Well, and maybe a little redemption for James Cameron, because when he was nominated for best director for Avatar, I think it was 2009, he lost to uh, uh, Catherine Bigelow for the, uh, for the Hurt Locker, who ended up being the first woman to win best director. And that was a stacked year. Quentin Tarantino was up that year too, for my favorite Inglorious Bastards. I love that movie. And that would have been my pick. Although I do love the Hurt Locker and I, I think she deserved to win for that one, but stacked category that year. And, I, and you're right. I mean, if James Cameron's directing anything, especially if it's going to be an Avatar sequel, I would expect him to be one of the five nominees mm-hmm. uh, for, for next year's cycle. It just feels like, unless it's a total, unless it's a total flop and it's terrible, then maybe he doesn't get in there. But I, I think he's got a real good chance of mm-hmm. maybe getting in there and, and we'll see if he can get his redemption actually win at this time. Yeah, it, it looks like next year's lineup, if we're, if we're looking ahead, and I, I like how I literally just pretty much put my foot in my mouth when I said, oh, we don't really see movies filmed back-to-back anymore. And then I literally just talked about Avatar 2 and 3 filming back-to-back. So that, that's my bad. Uh, but anyways, well, next like 10 year, years after the first one. <laughs> yeah, that one, that's the only There's issue. That, that, that's something, that's something that's uh, Avatar, like Dune won't have to deal with that as badly because Dune is going to go into production by fall of this year. But Avatar, people have now waited 14 years. You have to give them a masterpiece or like something that's going to blow them away. And James Cameron has promised all this new technology he's using. They were filming underwater using ASL to communicate and all that. So it's going to be insane seeing how he was able to use like Kate Winslet in a mocap suit underwater, signing to people, holding her breath for six minutes straight. Like, how is this all going to work out? How beautiful is it going to be? Because... Pandora in the first 
Avatar film was yeah. insanely um, the colors, the vibrant colors, the the amazing. Uh, what would you even say? It's like it's like a highlighter, fluorescent, fucking. It, it was beautiful. So if he brings that same artistic sensibilities to the underwater um, worlds of Pandora, which we haven't seen, and if that's just as beautiful, it's going to be a great welcome back to Pandora. And it looks like we only have but a month left before we even see a first look for that movie because they're going to release the first trailer with Doctor Strange too. Well, and I, I think too, the one thing I can give James Cameron a lot of respect for is the guy puts in the work. Like he is mm -hmm. not afraid to take his time. He is, he is very much not the like, okay, let me just fast track this movie so I can get it out there and, and go make the next one. Like if he commits to something, he's very committed and it'll take, he'll take his time. And um, you know, that's probably the reason why he's built so many of these masterpieces. Right. So I'm, I'm really curious where they go there, if they can kind of revive that franchise, because it sort of felt like at the time it was a one and done type situation. Like, wow, this beautiful movie that was kind of unique, that was nominated for a bunch of awards. And then you sort of forget about it and you think, okay, well, I don't think there's anything else here that they can really go to. So I'm really curious there. And, and quickly too, on Dune, I know you said that production starting in the fall, would that mean we would could expect it possibly on the screen in two years? Like, could they turn it around that quickly? It feels like that's that's ambitious for for what they're trying to film, though. Yeah, and especially if you want to, I don't want it to be rushed. And obviously, with COVID and all that, I know places aren't like fully opened, and VFX artists are overworked as is because Disney and Marvel does not give a shit about them at all. Um, they just want them to work, 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 and get no sleep, and basically kill themselves until the job is done. And that's why the Marvel and Disney movies don't tend to have very great CGI because they're all rushed jobs. Yeah. And that's something that I hope Dune, I don't think Dune's going to do because the visual effects in that first movie were so good and they blended so seamlessly with these real world environments that um, I would, I want to see the same quality of, of CGI. And if it means delaying the movie uh, till 2024, I, I don't mind. I don't mind having to wait yeah. until the, the Christmas of 2024 to see Dune too, as long as the quality, like if you can guarantee the quality is going to be good, I will wait. Yeah. And I, I, I do think too, like the, I don't know what their plan is. Like, are they just making two or are they going to make, is there a third one? Like, because it, there, I guess there would be a scenario where now that they have been green lit, like they're, it's pretty clear that this franchise is a success. It just won six Oscars and won a lot of the technical categories. Like maybe they can do two and three back to back. I don't know what, what the actual plans are for that. It, it, I, I would, I mean, I would love to see that, but from what I understand from Denny doing a couple interviews leading up to the Oscars, he had spoken about how he was in the writing process for Dune part two, and that was his number one priority. But right. he said in a, in a dream scenario, he said he would love to do Dune Messiah, which is the second book apparently. And I, of course I've not read any of the Dune books. I like, I'm going into these movies blind. And then after I've seen both movies or whatever, then I'll read the book. Okay, I was going to ask you that if you if you have plans to read the book. I actually bought my brother the first book for, mm -hmm. for Christmas this year. So I might I might steal that from him and, and see if I can get into it. It does look a little bit uh, maybe dry and wordy at, at times when I was flipping through it, but I I, I could I could get behind it. now that I have a vague idea of what's going on. I think I think the movie might help me read the book a little bit. Mm -hmm. If I can sit through 1500 pages of Stephen King describing Pennywise to me and weird sewer orgies, I can make it through a 1500 page Dune. Yes. So I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not turned off by it being dry because St Stephen King writes them when he gets, well, geez, reading a dark tower book from Stephen King usually gets pretty dry because he'll spend like three pages describing how thirsty Roland is in the well, first fucking book. <laughs> well, I started, I started reading recently the wheel of time series, which is on uh, Amazon right now. Yeah. It's like a, you know, sort of like a, a fantasy type 
type situation, like a Lord of the Rings, like a Game of Thrones. And I picked up the first book and man, if you're looking for something that's wordy and dry, <laughs> it's, it's that series. Like it is, it is insane. It's, it's good. It's well written, but it's sometimes a little bit too descriptive. You're like, okay, I don't need to know what like the birds are doing in, in the trees. <laughs> See, I think this is why I like short stories and, 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 and memoirs and autobiographies because they're like, I know the story has an end. I know the story is going to end and it's not going to be too wrapped up and giving me too much information. Like people's memoirs, they'll take, they'll take like five pages to tell me like a quick story of how they shit their pants at a golf course or something. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, this is great. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm learning stuff about people. I, I think that's one of my biggest things when it comes to books is uh, probably one of the reasons why I tend to go more in the nonfiction area of just learning about people as opposed to the, these stories. But that's not to say that I don't read books that have good stories. <laughs> So do you have any other, uh, any other gripes in terms of like who you thought an award should have, should have gone to? I know we, I feel like we sort of agree on production design and I know you had your pick, you were, you were on Macbeth there, but was there any others that you, if like, if you were making the awards, if you were giving them out, you would have maybe gone oh. somewhere else. If I was giving out the awards, um, Jessica Chastain wouldn't have got best actress. I think I, I would have gone Christian Stewart, uh, even though yeah. she showed up to the awards with shorts on, which is probably... <laughs> I think that was her response to, I know you're not going to give me the award. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and I was just like, okay, because there's I, no I, way I, they were going to let her and accept an award dressed like that. I thought maybe my- she just showed up from a run. Like she was like running in the area and thought like, oh yeah, right, the Oscars are tonight. Like I, <laughs> I better show totally, up. I totally forgot this was happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That was that, that, like out of that, I get it. Like that's, um, I, to me, I, th- I just thought she had the better performance, but of course I didn't see Olivia Coleman and the lost daughter and, and um, I did not care to go see Being the Ricardos, but I thought Amy Schumer's dig at Being the Ricardos was pretty pretty awesome when she said, "You made a movie yeah. about one, like one of the world's first female comedians, and it wasn't funny at all. Like the movie's just so dramatic, and there's not a lo- there's not a line of comedy in there at all. How can you make them? Can, how can you make a movie about Lucille Ball and it not be funny? I thought that was a very good very good joke at Nicole Kidman and Aaron Sorkin's um at work that they did. Uh, aside from that, I really don't. Oh. Fuck yeah, Mitchell's versus the machines. What am I talking about? You got the Encanto point. There you, you go. Went, you went safe with Encanto, but yeah. Mitchell's versus the machines was that was like a that was an animated masterpiece. Uh, that was a that was an easy nine out of ten for me. I love that movie. It made me cry. Encanto didn't make me cry. Just made and, me realize I, we can't talk about Bruno anymore. And I'm gonna give myself half a bonus point. Not enough to catch you, so it's it's only a half point. But I need myself half a bonus point for calling No Time to Die a year in advance of the, of the Oscar. So I'll see if I can call best original song. Give me like a month or so. And I'll, I'll kind of see what's, what's going to come out this year and I'll call the original song again. But um, I also thought Billie Eilish was the best performance of all the songs. I liked that they performed the songs. They sort of kicked things off with Beyonce, which I thought was a really cool start to the show. William sisters were out there, Beyonce. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is a, this is a hot start here for the Oscars. And I, I thought Billie Eilish was really good. And it's, it, just that song has such a cool Bond feel to it. And that's now three of the last four Bond movies uh, that have that have come out have all won Best Original Song. So it feels like if there's a Bond song, it's probably going to win. Uh, um, Sam Smith won for uh, Spectre and then obviously mm-hmm. Skyfall with, with Adele. So we're seeing basically like if you're in a Bond movie and you're a popular artist and you did a Bond song, you got an inside track to win this award every every time. What did you think? I thought the the Bond, I thought the Bond um, montage that they put together was really well done. The only gripe I would have with it, and I, I'm wondering if you had the same one, is why have Tony Hawk, Slater, and and Deshaun White come out to present that? That didn't really make sense to me. 
Yeah, that was a weird one. I, I, I mean, I guess they're trying to combine all the like extreme sports, like the top athletes of their extreme sports. I didn't really understand. I guess the connection is like Bond is always doing something extreme, but I think that's that's a little bit of a, of a stretch yeah. there. So yeah, I didn't understand that, but I loved the montage. It was awesome. They chose my favorite uh, Bond song by the Beatles, Live and Let Die, and it just flowed together nicely. And they showed all the clips. Like that's something that like, you know, I'm sure there's some young people who are watching it and like, and my girlfriend and her friends don't care for it. And they're like, what's this? Like, let's just move on. But that's something that like my dad or everyone's dad at home watching is like, this is the best moment. Like my dad texted me immediately and he was like, this is so cool. Like seeing all the Bond movies from like back in the day when I grew up. So I thought that that was awesome. I, I loved the Bond montage, but I'm also a sucker for Bond. And I, I thought they chose the perfect song for it because Live and Let yeah. Die is like nice pace to it. It's not like slow and sad, but it, it you know, it has enough of that sort of Bond feel to it. So that was, that was perfect. Anytime you could blend the Beatles and, and Bond, I'm a, I'm a happy man. Yeah, that was one. That was wonderful. The montage, I had, I just thought was one of the best parts. I just, I just think that uh, I know Pierce Brosnan is still alive. I know Judy Dench was there. I know Daniel Craig yeah. is still alive. Ralph Fien- Ray Fiennes is still alive. Like these people that are in the Bond franchise, you could have had come out and celebrate Bond that are still alive. I think yep. even like, Timothy Dalton, I'm pretty sure, is still alive. So you, there, there was tons of options to go in a bunch of different areas to bring in former Bonds to pay tribute to Bond, and yeah. there wasn't a single one of them there. Like I, I'm really surprised Daniel Craig wasn't there. To- to do a bond tribute since that was his, his farewell and uh, they were doing the 60 years of bond. So it, it, that, that was one thing. I just think to me, I would have, I would have changed. I would have gone further out of my way considering they brought, you know, three live action Disney princesses, white men can't jump reunion, Godfather yeah. reunion. And uh, my favorite moment, my favorite union was the Pulp Fiction one at the end of the, that was the end great. Of the show. Yeah, that, that was great. I'm glad bond was at least recognized in some way because, and I'm a huge bond fan. I didn't, think that the movie was that great or willing or great enough to be recognized in some of the other categories but I did think that it was a great song so I'm glad it got a chance to at least get some sort of recognition and they do the montage really curious where that franchise goes like we're talking about Dune uh, and that's obviously like in its infancy in terms of a, of a franchise and they're just kind of getting started but very curious to see where they go with this Bond franchise without Daniel Craig he was so important to that franchise and he sort of saved it to be honest like the last you know, a couple of generations of Bond movies maybe lacked a little bit. And I thought Daniel Craig, for the most part, really injected a lot of life into that franchise and a lot of emotion into that franchise. So very curious to see who they choose uh, for the next Bond. But we can we can probably save that conversation for another. Oh, yeah. Another that, podcast. Once they once they announce who it is, then I'll call you up immediately and I'll be like, you need to get on Zoom right now. We got to yeah. do something. We got to do a quick yes. James Bond breakdown of who this new guy is, who what's going on and how, the, wh- where they're going to go with the franchise. I mean, that's definitely going to be a good conversation. And I'm sure the, I'm sure the internet internet won't go into pure pandemonium and start yes, tearing the of new course not. apart because they, yeah, they'll handle they it well. That. They don't do that. Yeah. Anymore. They always, the internet always handles everything well, as we're seeing yeah. with the, with the Will Smith and uh, Chris Rock scenario. <laughs> That'll be the most viral moment of the, the next week. I know that that's not going to go down quietly. Um, Let's, let's think about like what, what some of our, some of our favorite moments of the night, um, did you have a favorite moment with the host or a favorite gag or something that happened throughout the night? Um, I know Brolin and Momoa was up there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bond montage was up there. We just sort of discussed that. That was something that was kind of like a personal favorite for me. I, 
I was really looking forward to, and I said this on our preview show, I was really looking forward to two speeches in two moments. And it was Troy Coetzer winning uh, for Best Supporting Actor, which we all knew was going to happen. And it was Will Smith winning for Best Actor. Now, obviously, the Will Smith thing kind of got derailed a little bit and sort of just went way off the rails. And I don't know, I, I was kind of like too shook at the moment to even really enjoy what was going on. Uh, but the Troy Coetzer moment, I thought was really cool. And, you know, sort of everybody in the crowd doing the hands, uh, you know, the the sign in terms of like clapping. I thought that was really, really nice. And just to see the emotion on his face and for somebody that probably like two, three years ago, if you would have told him he was going to win an Academy Award, he would have just said, no, man, like you're, you're crazy. What do you mean winning an Academy Award? Like even being nominated, I think would have been a huge thing for him. So I, I think that moments like that are, are usually my favorites. It's, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see people get their first Oscars. It's nice to see some of the big names finally win, but I love those sort of like journeyman uh, stories. I, I always think about this too. Um, when I look at professional sports, like the athletes that come from like the lower leagues and in, in hockey, the athletes that come from like the ECHL and make their way all the way to the NHL, like this is kind of the same type of scenario uh, watching Troy Coetzer get that award. So that was probably the personal favorite uh, for me, one where I was getting starting to get a little teary eyed there watching him collect that award. It's hard. It, that was a hard moment not to get teary eyed for either when he came up, when his name was initially said, and I think he just looks over at the person next to him and uh, you just saw like that his face completely break down and you see like he's, Oh, his eyes are welling up. I think he's going to cry and yeah, overwhelmed with emotion. I think, I think even though he won a lot of the awards leading up to it, I still think that that was such a special moment for him. Like I actually believed it when he said, like, I can't believe this is happening. Whereas like, you know, Jessica Chastain goes up there and it's just like, Oh, I can't believe this happened. It's like, well, I can, you want all the other awards or Ariana DeBose when yeah. she said Ariana DeBose clean sweep the entire season. And she was talking about how she couldn't believe this was happening. This can't be real. Like I can believe it's happening. So, I mean, yeah, we're I, all I, believing I, it, that was a, but that was a huge moment for the LGBTQ and Latino community. So I, I understand that that's a huge thing now that you get to see yourself on the Oscar stage, but that was pretty much a lock, but Troy, I, he did have, there was that possibility where Cody Smith McPhee could have taken that, could yeah. have taken that award. And, but seeing him, he, 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 it was just such a good, uh, such a good moment to have. And actually just believe that that moment meant that much to him. And it, it was a very special and heartfelt moments. One of the more heartfelt moments of the night, aside from quest love speech, immediately following the rock and Smith drama quest love had one of the best speeches of the night as well. So it was and, nice. And Watching the odds for Best Supporting Actor was fascinating over the month leading up because, I mean, at one point in the season, if you go back even further, Cody Smith-McGee was just a massive favorite to win that award. And Troy Coetzer was a bit of an afterthought at that point. And then slowly but surely, it, it sort of tightened up. It became a closer two-horse race. And then by the time the award was actually given out on Sunday, Troy Coetzer was one of the biggest favorites of the entire night. So I think there was that groundswell and maybe that recognition from the Academy. And we talked about this a bit on the preview show that Cody Smith-McGee is a young actor. He's obviously great. He was, he was good in Power of the Dog. He, he had sort of like a a very powerful central role in that movie, he's going to get plenty of opportunities. He's going to be in this situation again in the future. We don't know if Troy Coetzer is going to be in that situation again. We don't know if there's going to be another movie where he can get this kind of recognition. And I think it was just the, the sort of perfect storm and a chance to, to, to recognize him in that moment. And you're not taking away from somebody that might not get another chance. So I, I think that that was part of the reason why we saw the odds shift that way and, and end up going to uh to Troy Coates or I think that that sort of recognition there I hope we have seen a, gr a great a great movement sort of shift over the last couple of years we saw Sound of Metal last year 
the deaf community. That mm-hmm. was a big movie for the deaf yeah. community. You had Paul Racy get nominated for Best Supporting Actor there. Riz Ahmed. Um, you even had Lauren Ridloff, who was a big part of that and a big, a big, big part of the deaf community, you know, with her roles in The Eternals and The Walking Dead. Like, I think we're seeing more and more representation of those of the, of the deaf community in film and TV. And I think that's a good thing. And I, I don't, I really hope this is not like we don't see Troy Coatser for like a few years. I hope it's not like a Monique situation yeah. where the, the academy or the industry just decides to, we're not going to do anything with you anymore. You won the award. We don't care. I hope Troy Coatser gets tons more opportunities past this. I hope he gets like a, a recurring role and he was already in the Mandalorian. Let's bring him back. Let's bring him back in the Mandalorian. Let's, let's have him come into a suit. Let's have him be in a superhero movie. Like, let's just, let's, let's have him do a bunch of stuff, but maybe not just all the big stuff, have him have another big leading role in a, in a, in a film as well. And, and for me too, as a consumer of the, of these movies, like those two movies that you mentioned, you know, sound of metal with the deaf community. And then sort of what we saw this year with Coda and everything that happened there, like, you watch the movie, you enjoy the movie, but you also learn something and you get to kind of live a day or live a couple hours in the shoes of these people. And obviously it's not perfect. Like you're not actually living like they're living, but you get a chance to sort of see and try to wrap your mind around what they go through on a day-to-day basis. And I just think for me, it's so important. Like I, I knew nothing about code. I knew nothing about, you know, what someone could go through in terms of, you know, having to help out their family where they're the only person that can, that can sort of speak and, and talk and the rest of their family can't like, I knew nothing about that. And you sort of learn something while watching those types of movies. So I loved it. I, I, I think that that's a big reason why it was recognized the way that it was on Sunday night. And I'm glad that we are seeing more movies like that because you, you really come away feeling a lot better about it and, and getting a greater appreciation for what some of these people are going through in a way that you would never get to experience in your day-to-day life. I honestly think, and I and I and I, uh, I honestly think that the Planet of the Apes recent trilogy had a good had had an impact on this on this movement. I think showing it showing ASL in a, in a big budget movie, a big blockbuster movie that was hugely popular, the first film Rise making five hundred million, Dawn making seven hundred million, and then War making another five hundred million. Like that was a great way yeah. to sh- to put it into the mainstream and make people much more accepting of seeing movies with, with people of the deaf community or, or people that use ASL and then Sound of Metal and CODA following up immediately after that. I think I think all those movies had a, had a big part to play and I'm so glad we're living in a, in a society now where we're going to be able to see more of this stuff. And, the, and when there were scenes in both of those movies like Sound of Metal from last year where they sort of like you know, they cut the audio or they do, they do different things with the audio to make you feel like you're sort of in their shoes. And they did, they did mm-hmm. it too in Coda uh, where Troy Coatser's characters is watching the recital and they cut the audio and they sort of show him sort of like looking around and thinking, you know, trying to, trying to read everyone's expressions in terms of, of trying to figure out what was going on with his daughter. And I thought that that was just such a cool moment because they really put you in his shoes and, and they really did a good job of that. I thought so. Uh, for me, that was something that really elevated the movie, and I'm 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 happy to see uh, these communities getting recognized a little bit more. Those are great examples of pro- probably some of the best uses of sound in those in both particular movies. I, I loved it in Sound of Metal because they really put they really put you into Riz Ahmed's yeah. character's uh, shoes of the fear and oh my God, what's happening mm-hmm. with my life? And he's he's so afraid he's going to lose who he is, and he's he's so afraid of change and becoming mm-hmm. someone else that he, he does, he's not as accepting about his new life and just, and just enjoying life for what it is. And it was a great character arc that he goes on, but it was a great use of taking audio away on us to put him into his shoes when he's having those huge freak out moments. So those, those scary moments that he's going through as he's losing his hearing. And then in Coda, the confusion around 
oh, I don't know what's going on. Everyone's enjoying this, but I can't hear anything. I don't know how to connect to this. It was both well, um, well-executed uses of that, of, of taking sound away. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, it's, it's not so much like using sound. It's almost just taking it away yeah. and using like we're so used to always having sound constantly. And then you take it away and you kind of as the viewer, you step back and you go, oh, OK, like it, it's really like one of those wow moments. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, quickly to on Riz, I know we saw him very way too quickly at, mm-hmm. at the awards. I, I would like to see him for a bit longer. Very curious to see uh, where his career goes from here, because I think you could have made a strong case for him to win best actor a couple of years ago uh, when Anthony Hopkins ends up winning it. And you know, Chadwick was supposed to win it. I, I think Riz had a very strong case that year. He was, sound my metal favorite. Song. he was my personal pick that year. Like if I was going with yeah. my heart, he was my pick, but then I went with Chadwick, even though I didn't think he particularly had the best performance out of all those nominees. Riz Ahmed in my mind was, was the best performance of that year. And, and I think he's got that first nomination. We're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. Yeah. It's, it's like Andrew Garfield, like we now he's got his second Academy Award nomination, and I don't think that's going to be the end. I think before Andrew Garfield's career is done, he'll end up with an Academy Award. Same with Riz, well, Riz Ahmed, you'll end up with an, an acting award. You already have the Oscar gold, but you'll end up with an acting one as well. I can guarantee that for Riz Ahmed. Yeah, I think too for Andrew Garfield, we are seeing like the recognition and sort of like the stepping stones to an Oscar in the future. You get nominated a couple times and, and you're sort of in the mix and it feels like the Academy really does like him. So I think he's only a couple movies away from, from bringing home that best actor at some point. And I I've kind of done a 180 on him uh, you know, in terms of his acting and everything I've, I've liked, basically everything he's done i think he soured me a little bit uh, with the amazing spider-man series but he saved it in the i thought he had a great redemption in the in the latest spider-man and maybe that's why i i seem to like him so much now but i am uh i'm in on him winning something in, in the future I, I think it's only a matter of time for him oh yeah yeah i i, I agree same with um say oh geez a benedict cumberbatch same with benedict cumberbatch obviously yeah. he had his second nomination as well the same night with andrew and uh, with will smith winning though Cumberbatch, I think that's uh, that that man's a, a fantastic actor. He's like there for some go. reason he's one of those people that's not yet defined by his role in the MCU yet. He's still able to go out there and make these other films. He's not like Robert Downey Jr., where people are going to see him as Iron Man or Chris Evans as Captain America. People still see Benedict Cumberbatch as just Benedict Cumberbatch. He's not just Doctor Strange yet. And I yeah, think that's that a helps. very that's a very good point. I think like hardcore. MCU fans, hardcore Marvel fans might look at him as Doctor Strange first, but I think the general public doesn't because it's just, it's not a superhero that really people even know, like, you know, Spider-Man, all of those, you know, Iron Man, Hulk, those types of superheroes transcend the MCU and people just, general people just know about those superheroes. Not many people outside of the hardcore fans even know what Doctor Strange is. So I think that was kind of the perfect role for him where he could like be in those movies. The hardcore comic book nerds can can kind of get behind him. But yet the general public still, like you said, looks at him as Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I agree. All right. Final thoughts. Give me your rating out of 10. How is this award show for you out of 10? I would say like halfway through, it was probably leaning more towards like a five or a six. And then everything that happened with Will Smith uh, and Chris Rock, I think just took it to another level in terms of like drama and excitement and like what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about this Oscars, I think, for a long time, maybe for the wrong reasons, uh, maybe not so much about the movies (laughs) and everything that happened and the quality of the films at this year's Oscars, but the drama. So I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. There was some changes I I could make. I don't like the fact that they're trying to jam in these eight awards and they're doing them before the show and they're editing them in. I think just make it a four hour show, let it breathe. Who cares? 
times if you go long, it's one night a year. The 11 o'clock news can wait. Like let's, let's give the, let's give these people the time that they deserve. So those are the reasons why I wouldn't go with the full 10, but it's, it's an eight and a half for me, Zach. I'm with you. I think as everything was going, missing out on, you know, not having them broadcast golden hour live and then having them put it, uh, put those eight categories, sprinkle them throughout the award show. I could have done without that. Just present all 23. I was leaning more of a, of a six to a seven, uh, more like a 6.5 really. But then when, with the Will Smith and Chris Rock thing, that brought it to a whole nother level. And for me, that's a 10 out of 10 moment, just with, um, just, yeah. just pure insanity. Can't even believe it's happening. Really does feel like a fever dream. It's like when I, it's like when you're, it's like when you were sitting in the theater seeing Spider-Man No Way Home and Toby and Andrew came out of the portals and you're like, this can't be real. This is a fever dream. That, that was the exact same feel. I was like, oh my like, God, did, Will did Smith I take just acid? Will did Smith I take just acid? Them. <laughs> yeah. Who spiked my drink? Someone spiked my so, drink. Taking that into consideration, I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm well, probably not as high, but I'm going with a seven out of ten for the show, and the, I'm being generous with the seven because it really just comes down to that Will Smith moment, m- making it just the pure insanity of it, and the utter, the, the utter fact that it just did not feel like I was in my body, a very out of body experience, just like what the fuck. <laughs> I think I said this last year too, uh, when I came on with you and we did the recap, I always get a little post Oscars depression on the Monday, like when it's over such a buildup, I get so excited for it. And then I got to wait like a whole other year to feel that sort of excitement again. So like, I'm already sitting here thinking like, obviously the nominees aren't going to be out for a long time. We don't even know what movies are really going to be in the mix, but I like want a fresh slate of, of nominees and, and groupings of movies to watch. So I'm already excited for next year, Zach, the, the wheels are already turning. I made I made such a bad guess. I know during our last show when I was talking about looking ahead and I said, oh, the Eternals, Chloe Zhao coming off of that best picture and best director win. And I thought Eternals was going to be the second Marvel movie ever nominated for best picture. And then, of course, that ended up being the worst reviewed Marvel movie uh, in the entire MCU. So I was so wrong with that prediction, but I'm still willing to make a few predictions right now. I think we're going to see some representation for the Batman at next year's Oscars. I think Greg Frazier, he just picked up cinematography for Dune. I think we're going to see him back in the same category for Batman. I think we're going to see Michael Giacchino with score for the Batman, if not production design and costumes and all that as well. Uh, Batman will be a lot of technical awards. I don't think best picture, but I would love it if it was. Uh, And I think, I think the Fablemans, which is the Steven Spielberg movie coming out, chronicling basically like a semi-autobiographical movie about his early years. I think we'll see some representation for that movie. I think obviously we're going to see Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. And then I think Avatar 2 is going to have a presence. I think as long as it's good, I think Avatar 2 is going to have a presence. So I'm willing to put bets down on those four movies having some sort of representation at the Oscars next year. But it's too early to tell because I don't know all the movies that are going to be out. Those are the only four I know. Yeah, and I, well, I think with 10 Best Picture nominees possibly now too, like you could see a Batman sneak in there. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it will get in there. It was it was great. I loved it. I think it's it's worthy of, of being in that conversation. So it's not one that you necessarily think can actually win the Best Picture, but it's something you think, okay, we'll throw them a bone. You know, we'll get them in there as, as one of the nominees, like we've seen some of these superhero movies get in the past. Curious if it maybe gets any sort of acting noms. Like again, it's it's a little bit trickier to get into those. But Colin Farrell for the the Penguin. I mean, he's probably not going to get in there. It was a supporting role, and he's not in the movie that much. But man, what they did with him was so cool. That was that was amazing. I, I'm uh, next week. I have a I have a Batman spoiler uh, podcast coming out, and I talk with my friends about it. But Colin Farrell was a big talking point for us as well. He, he's clearly a scene stealer in that movie. Um, Hey, watch it, sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> what are you showing me here? What are you doing to me? 
the Amazing. voice, the the over the top Italianism that he puts into it. Um, <laughs> he really is. If anyone gets a nomination for acting, I think Colin yeah. Farrell would be would just be amazing to see, <laughs> just to see yeah. that. And then then his acting award clip should just be <laughs> should just be that it's, scene when he's getting interrogated by Gordon and Batman. Would that would be the not, real? <laughs> yeah, it's not the type of movie you think would normally get like acting nom- nominations. But if there was one, I would pick it. Would probably be Colin Farrell. Like I don't see Robert Pattinson being nominated for it i think he was very good he did the job but he was yeah, it didn't really say much the whole movie he's kind of just brooding around like there's not much really to that i think so um you know maybe zoe kravitz gets in the mix for what she was able to do but i feel like it's one of those movies that we could we love right now but it's probably it probably came out at the wrong time to be in the mix in the mix too much for next year's oscars yeah. it's just so long away and i think people by the time next year's oscars rolls around will have, will have kind of forgotten about it and moved on yeah, exactly. I, that, that's my fear. The, uh, I'm just trying to think of like other movies where they've come out this early and they, they had momentum that was able to keep up for the entire season. And the only two that come to my mind is Black Panther and Get Out. Both those yeah. movies released in February and were that's able right. to keep momentum going until they inevitably won a bunch. Like I know Get Out got best original screenplay and Black Panther ended up with best, uh, I don't think score, no, yeah, best score, best uh, costumes. I don't think it ended up with best visual effects. I don't think that at all, but I wouldn't be surprised, but I, they both ended up with some Oscar wins. And those are the only two movies I think that have ever been able to pull that, pull that off, keep momentum going for 12 months. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult. I talk about this all the time too. It's all about timing. And I think that's what helped Coda in, in, this year, right? Like it peaked at the right time. It ends up winning and uh, probably what hurt power of the dog just peaked, uh, peaked a little bit too early. All right, man. Well, it's a pleasure always right. having you here in these in these episodes, and I, I look forward to next year and just seeing if uh, some of these predictions we came up with uh, end up coming true and if we see some Avatar stuff. Um, but I know this is the last time I talked to you this year. We'll definitely talk again. Maybe Lord of the Rings talk or who knows, yes. another without a paddle episode. We'll see. That's but right. uh, as always, man, always a pleasure. You can follow Jake at, J-Con, uh, at jhan4 on Twitter. I almost fucked that up. Um, anyways, man, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. You're the best. Uh, great Oscar season. I'll be talking to you again soon. All right, everybody. Make sure to follow Banter Booth on it at Instagram at the Banter Booth Podcast and me at Zach Crawford 3 on Twitter. Thanks for checking us out. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.